we're going to talk about the power of momentum. But before we do, a hot flash I must read to you. A new teacher was settling into her new middle school class in Boston when she said, Good morning, class. I'm your new teacher. My name is Mrs. Jones, and I'm a Celtics fan. Then she asked her class, How many of you here are Celtics fans? And those that are, please raise your hand. Every student raised his or her hand except little Sally in the back of the room. Mrs. Jones says to Sally, who are you a fan of? Sally replied, I'm a Spurs fan. Mrs. Jones replied, why? Sally replied, because my mother and father are from San Antonio and they are Spurs fans. The teacher, Mrs. Jones says, well, just because they are Spurs fans doesn't necessarily make you a Spurs fan too. Then Mrs. Jones asked little Sally, well, what if your mother was a prostitute, your father was a drug dealer, and your brother was a pimp? What would you be then? Sally said, I'd probably be a Lakers fan. <laughs> Mark Roy gave me that. <laughs> Gee, I wish I'd have had that one today, okay. <clears throat> Well, get your notes out. Whether it's a presidential race or a church or a business or a sports team, if you don't have momentum, then no matter what your words are, no matter how much money you pour into something, you're still going to lose. Dr. Lyle Shaler writes, the number one problem in the local church is low morale. By and large, churches across the country have no momentum and the morale and expectation is low. And with all the good news, power, miracles, promises, and principles given to the church by God, he writes, it amazes me why there is no forward movement or momentum. Let me give you a momentum formula. The attitude of the leader plus the atmosphere of the church plus the accomplishments of the people equal momentum. Many times momentum is the only difference in winning and losing. It's the only difference. It's not always talent, genius, or giftedness that lets the team win. Many times, as we've watched in a few spur games, it's momentum. There are an awful lot of people in life who have lost their momentum. They can't get it going. Some of you that are a little bit older can remember the 1980 USA hockey team that beat the Russians for the gold medal. It was a surprise to everybody. Our young guys were just kids in college and they're playing grown men on the Russian team and they should never have beaten three of the top teams to get there. And they began to play over their heads and it started building as they took these teams down. And they began doing things they didn't normally do, bringing out the best in each other. Everybody knew the best team didn't win that day. The best team, the Russians, took a silver. The team who won the goal had the power of momentum going for them, and it made them unstoppable. If you've got momentum on your side with little time left on the clock, you'll always win. I turned the television off the game the other night. <laughs> as the Dallas Mavericks had a 15-point lead and we couldn't buy a basket, played sloppy, wouldn't shoot, 
and I was disgusted. So I went over and was watching on one of the other channels, Summit Climbing Mount Everest, the Summit Challenge, you know, it was more exciting. And I just couldn't bear to watch it. I called Guillermo about something and he said, and I made the comment about what I was now watching. And he says, well, they've closed the gap. And I said, what? So I snapped it back and we were tied. And I was able to watch when Steve Kerr came in, who has not played in months off the bench, 37-year-old veteran of multiple championships, take those three-point shots, make them, and infuse power, confidence, expectation, and everybody who was dead cold started playing over their head again, and they walked away with it, and Dallas went flat some 35 points to two or four in just a few moments, and the rest is history. That's an amazing thing. I mean, what happened is a veteran went in who has been in multiple championships and knew you get the shot, you take the shot. Our young guys, when they get behind, freeze, and they won't take the shot, and they were just passing the ball, passing the ball, and nobody would take the shot, and Tim was being double teamed and triple teamed. The veteran who came off the bench and was interviewed later, Steve Kerr, 37 years old, said, I knew when I took that floor and I got a shot, I'm taking the shot with confidence. And all it took was four three-point plays to turn the game. And anybody with a brain might not know what to call it, but new power shifted. And then everybody started playing at a higher level than they did before. That's the power of momentum. And with momentum, you always look better than you really are. Nothing makes any leader look better than momentum. You can preach anything and people will think it's great. Momentum makes you look better than you are. With momentum, followers perform better than usual. Even the players on the team that are not first string usually play at a higher level. If we use a sports expression, they play over their heads. That means they're playing better than their natural skill and ability would normally dictate. David killed a lion, then a bear, then a giant. See the process of momentum? And with momentum, you feel good about yourself and you have more confidence. Each future conquest or objective or obstacle, you've got confidence for it because you've just come from a victory and it keeps building. But without momentum, Leaders look worse than they are. Our players, when we lose momentum, look terrible. They are not terrible. They're great players, but they look worse than they are when the momentum is lost and you look like a high school team and followers perform worse. The quotation is, there's no known law by which you can achieve success without first expecting it. That's important. You expect it. Momentum is the greatest of all change agents. If you have the ability to develop momentum in a church or a sports team or a business organization, you can change it very easily. Otherwise, change comes very slow. When the church is moving, when there's excitement, when there's energy and expectation and a climate of confidence, people are much more ready and willing to make changes and go forward and take risks. I don't know if you're aware of it. That's what we're enjoying. A confidence, an expectation, and growth and excitement. People are willing to charge hell with a squirt gun. Because 
where we're seeing victories and it builds up. Now, it's easier to steer momentum than to start it. It's tough to steer a parked car. And a lot of leaders don't have a clue as to the value of momentum in the life of a church or a business or a team. And many times they stop momentum because they want to make a change in the organization. And they don't realize that not only will they have to restart it, but they'll have to turn it around as well. Once momentum gets going, do everything possible to keep it moving and do anything you have to do to stop allowing it to deteriorate. It is just too hard to regain and to get than it is to keep it going. That's why you ought to fight for it in your department or in your class. Okay, how do we allow momentum to keep going? Look in your notes. Number one, first develop an appreciation for it. If I could choose one gift for a leader, it would be to give him or her the ability to create momentum. Momentum covers a multitude of shortcomings. People will overlook a lot when you got momentum going. But if you lack momentum, they forget nothing. All great leaders of movements have the ability to generate momentum. Number two, understand the key ingredients of momentum. Whatever the reason is the why you got the ball rolling is the same why that will stop the ball rolling unless you know what it is. So you've got to know what it is that's keeping that ball going so you don't lose it. You have to protect it. Number three, pour resources into it. Once you see you've got something or someone that makes the church or a business or a team go, pour all your money and time into it. Now, here's what we do in the church. When I grew up, we generally put our money and resources into the losers. Don't put your best money into the losers. Put it into the winners. Put it into those who make momentum happen. I mean, if we were gamblers, you wouldn't put good money on a nag horse in a race because you felt sorry for him. Only the church does that. Well, I know his department ain't growing, hadn't grown in five years, and I know he doesn't show up and hadn't produced anything, but, you know, Ed's been here a long time. Well, Ed's going needs to be put out to pasture. He's not helping us. You're not going to put your good money there. And when he comes to getting a budget, and if you're in a company, if you want a budget and you want to increase your budget for the new year or you want to do it in a church, well, I can tell you right now who's going to get the most money and who's going to get the first money. Those that produce the growth that adds the momentum and life to the church. If you're an employer, you've got limited assets, you're going to put your big bucks on what makes it go bang. You don't get it just because you own the team. You got to prove that the money given to you will add more value and more momentum and more growth and more resource to the church or business, then you can have it. But if you're on the losing end, don't pad your budget. It ain't going to help you. You're not going to get it. Put your money behind your winners. You find the best horse you can, put your money on him and increase your odds of winning. Do the same thing for momentum. You've got to pour your money into the people that can make the organization go and pour it into the things or programs that make the organization go. We are not a welfare system. You've got to get the momentum going. Put the greatest amount of money and time into the people and things that bring you the highest rate of return. Now, Dr. Paul Myers of Success and Motivation Institute gives five signs of diminished momentum. And if you're a good leader, you better be able to recognize when you're losing it. 
Why does the NBA coach, after there's about three or four breaks and they score and we don't score, call timeout to try to break that momentum? Recognizing my team right now is in a diminished momentum position. I want to take charge and turn it around before we lose it completely. The first key, the first sign of diminished momentum is doubt. When there's a questioning of the ability of the leader to do the job, or when self-confidence is lost and worry or confusion begins to take over, momentum slows down. The second sign of diminished momentum is procrastination. When all of a sudden the important decisions are not being made and there's hesitation to take risks, hoping the problem will take care of itself, momentum slows down. Third, devotion to false symbols. That's surrendering to egotism and status-seeking, coveting the job title instead of concentrating on better ways to do the job, desiring to be well thought of instead of legitimately productive, then momentum slows down. Number four, another sign, complacency. That's surrendering to the inner urge almost everybody has to take it easy, being satisfied with good enough instead of excellent. I mean, what do we say when we see people? We leave them. Take it easy, Fred. We don't need to be telling nobody, take it easy. (laughs) Work hard. Be excellent. Be strengthened. Take it easy. Ain't none of us need our flesh, need any encouragement to take it easy. (laughs) Number five, loss of purpose. Then you lose the purpose, momentum slows down. I'm just saying leaders have to have the ability to see that and recognize it. Leaders know how to regain momentum. Check your notes out. Number one, how? How to regain momentum. Number one, be honest about the situation. Stop defending it. Get honest about the situation. You know, say, we're dying. We're losing ground. We're going backwards. This isn't good. Be honest. Number two, accept responsibility. If you're in charge, accept responsibility. Number three, find the real issues. As soon as we accept responsibility, go on a hunt to find the problem and fix the problem. Number four, discuss the real issues with your top 20%. That might be in some smaller classes or departments, two or three people. But bring your key people around. Number five, don't take yourself too seriously. People who do never do much because they're more interested in their ego, title, position, and parking place rather than the real issue of being productive, of growth, and development. Number six, solicit the support of your top 20%. Get their feedback. Ask them to help you out. How do they see the situation? I want to get those people around me immediately. What do you think about this idea? I want their opinion, your top 20 producers and get them to help you. When they do, you're in good shape. When your top 20% back you, you're in good shape. Number seven, develop a plan. Decide whether you want people to be with you for a day or a year. A plan keeps people together for a long time. Get a plan. Number eight, share the plan with the people. It'll begin to relieve the anxiety. People will begin to say, this person is in control. They know what they're doing. Give people an idea you know where the plane's going. Number nine, be confident. The pilot gets on an airplane, he doesn't say, y'all pray for me, I don't, I don't feel worthy to fly this airplane. <laughs> well, get off, Jack, and give us a pilot who does. That's what I want to say. 
I don't know if you remember this, but back in the old days in the 60s, I remember, and I went to a little independent fundamental church, and, and I can remember the little singing groups, and we had little gospel singings, and always, always, the women would get up, and I don't know if there's a couple of guys, and I want to say, now, y'all pray for us tonight. I thought, well, pray for you. I ain't going to pray for you. You came out to sing. You're supposed to practice. Sing. I ain't going to pray for you. If you can't sing, get off the stage. Get on. Let's get out of here early and go home. Pray for me. Don't you ever do that as a leader. You get behind the stage. You pray in the speaker's lounge. You pray at home. You pray on the parking lot. Don't come in here and say, y'all pray for me. It's too late. It's too late. Don't pray. Okay. So be confident. Number 10, focus on the future, not the past. Keep people focused on where we're going. Keep looking forward. Now, that's just a suggested way to regain momentum if you're starting to lose it, okay? The problem with momentum is that you never understand its true value till you lose it. Ask any coach about the value of momentum. If I've got momentum on Sunday or Saturday night, I can say, God is good, and 10 people get saved if I got momentum. It's amazing. It's amazing. So look at the formula one more time. The attitude of the leader plus the atmosphere of the organization plus the accomplishment of the people equals momentum. So let's take those three points as we close this out. First, the attitude of the leader. Momentum begins with you. Dr. Walt Emerson wrote, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Where does momentum begin? Inside the heart of a leader. Three helpful attitudes. First, a willingness to accept responsibility for your church or department or class or office or business for their momentum. Dave Mahoney writes, there comes a moment you have to stop revving up the car and put it in gear. If you've been in the church or a company or a department for three years or more, every problem is your problem. Stop blaming, take action. When I was in business, that was the rule. Everybody inherits problems they didn't create. But when you're put in charge, then if you've got the problem three years later, you're the problem. Because you're not doing what's necessary to correct the problem. And so after three years, don't be blaming the last administration or blaming anything else that you inherited. It's now your problem. Number two, a willingness to make momentum instead of waiting for momentum to make you. A follower waits for momentum to make them. A leader goes out and creates momentum. Even if you have the world's best idea, it'll do you no good until you act on it. People who want milk should not sit on a stool in the middle of a field in hopes the cow will back up to them. <laughs> be proactive. You can't just shout, be excited. So you've got to create momentum. Number three, a willingness to be enthusiastic at all times. Only one in a hundred can do that. I'm talking about the ability to be excited about life, about people, about church. You cannot kindle a fire in somebody until it's first burning in you. 200 executives were asked, what makes a person successful? 80% said the number one quality was enthusiasm. The ability to get up every day excited about life. Ralph Waldo Emerson writes, those folks who succeed simply remain enthusiastic longer than those who fail. Every great and commanding movement in the annals of the world is a triumph of enthusiasm. If you don't believe in it, nobody else will. 
You've got to be passionate and enthusiastic about what you believe. How do I stay motivated? Well, it's easy. You've got to think that the work you're doing is the most important work you've ever done. And I think the people that I'm partnering with are the most important people. And I think what I'm doing is going to change lives. And if you can't get excited about that, well, what can excite you? See, we're changing the future every week here. It's an exciting business. We hear stories, never know what each weekend's going to bring, don't even know what the long-term benefits, but you know you're in something that has the power to change families and futures forever. And we ought to be excited about doing it in a passionate, creative, and energetic way so people are helped. Go find something that will give you that joy of hardly being able to wait to get to work. So if you're the leader, you're the one responsible to build momentum in your department. Rick Warren writes, if the temperature is not hot in the organization, stick a thermometer in the leader's mouth. You're going to find the problem there every time. That's the attitude of the leader. Number two, the theory of momentum is first the attitude of a leader. Second, the atmosphere of the organization. Churches and organizations that have momentum have an atmosphere you can feel. It's contagious. Growing churches have a smell as you drive on the property. It's like going to the SBC Center. There's a pregame feeling as people walk into the building, they're going to win and they know it. I hope you have that feeling if you go into the game. <laughs> I got that feeling. We're going to win this thing. I am confident. And not silly because it's our team, because if we play a better team, I'm scared. But I'm saying we should win the NBA championship. There is not one statistical evidence on paper that says we should not. Now, there are a lot of factors, momentum being one, critical injuries being another. But the point is we should win this thing. And that'd be my expectation as a coach. So we want to have a good atmosphere where, hey, this is an exciting place. Uh, every day is a great day. And there's that good feeling. The Lakers fans enjoyed it, always knowing as they had three years of playoffs, they'd win. They went in with an expectation. We're going to win. Great excitement. Movie stars would pay thousands of dollars for chief seats and what? Well, it's, a, it's got an atmosphere about it. You can smell a church that ain't growing too. It stinks. There's no passion. There's no energy. There's no life. There's no expectation to win anything. Boy, that's death to us. So there's an anticipation as people find their seats. Something good's going to happen. There are words of affirmation at the end of a service like, wasn't that great? Or, boy, I'm glad I was here. Or, man, that really met my need. You can hear people talk afterward and discern if there's a good atmosphere of health and encouragement in life. A high morale atmosphere produces, number one, expectancy. Number two, energy. Number three, commitment. Number four, confidence. Confidence, there's going to be a win. A victory. I am confident we will have in two and a half years that building out there on that land. It takes almost two years to build it. So I am confident. I don't know if we'll reach our $3 million goal tomorrow. I don't know that. I know we'll reach it. I have no lack of confidence, which is why I said today is not an end. It's the beginning. And I'm very confident that we can continue to grow people and grow faith. And as God blesses you back and your confidence level goes up, you'll be more apt to make that a practice than just a one-time thing when you see what God does for you. So you want to stay 
motivated and confident. How do you create an atmosphere of confidence? Number one, high belief in people. Those who believe in your ability do more than stimulate you. They create an atmosphere in which it becomes easier to succeed. It's good knowing people believe in you. They're counting on you. Number two, high expectancy of good things. See, when combined with desire, expectancy produces hope and hope makes all things possible. Do you expect to succeed? Churches that have high morale have high expectancy. I have never one day thought we'd be a struggling little bitty stuck in the wall rented church. Ain't never thought that. I want to get away from those people that are as fast as I can. And I started off with a lot of friends who are still stuck in a wall. But their thinking and their attitude was not a winner. And I didn't think I knew I'd have to pay the price, have to learn like everybody else and have to wait my time and sow and build and believe and pay the price. But I never felt for a moment I'd ever stay there. My unexpected was how long it'd take. I, uh, I must say I was so expecting I thought it'd be quicker than slower. But I'd rather be accused of being too expectant than doubting and unbelieving. I never doubted. I just didn't think it'd take quite so long, cost so much, or be so hard. <laughs> and that's okay. That's a good place to goof it up. I think if I was the Lord, I'd much rather deal with a guy with high expectation who's thinking he's going to get there a little too quick than a guy who doesn't think he's going to get there at all. And then try to rally people around that high expectancy of good things. Number three, have a vision worth following. For the atmosphere, the morale to be what it should be, there has to be a vision worth following. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the momentum provide the vision or does the vision provide the momentum? Well, the vision provides the momentum. The vision also helps to distinguish who follows. If you get on an airplane and the guy says, we're going to Atlanta and you want to go to Chicago, you're getting off. If you got a Kmart vision, you're going to draw Kmart folks. If you got a half million dollar vision, you're going to draw folks below a half million dollar level. If you got a multi-million dollar vision and you've got a Neiman Marcus Saks Fifth Avenue vision, you guess what? You're going to draw a different clientele. Can't you see when you go to different churches, the color, the atmosphere, the makeup of the people? Yeah, it's based on the leader. I don't know if that's good or bad for me looking at you. I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to apologize to you <laughs> if I'm not good enough, but I'm still trying to grow and improve the quality of your life and those who will come because I want more people on the bus. And I had to make some of those choices early on. Do I want the snake handlers to come or do I want folks who pay the bills and can make a difference in the world to come? Well, I made my decision after watching the snake handlers. I said, nope, nope, don't think so. Believe I just, I've had the oil slicks in the parking lot. We had everybody unemployed. I was the only one with a job. I said, Lord, this is not working out like I planned. And God says, then you're going to have to tighten it up and you're going to have to make some changes. And you're going to have to cut some things off that are permissible, but they're not expedient. And they're not going to help you grow until you do. And if you don't change it, this is what you're going to have. They're blessed. There's a beautiful little experience of people, but you're never going to accomplish much. So we've evolved and changed and changed and keep changing and refining so we can draw the quality people that will make a difference in the world. And see, you could be little and small and poor, but inside of you could be a giant and you'll be drawn to that message even though you're not there yet. And that message in time will bring you up to be a giant killer even though you may be for the moment unimportant and struggling. 
All of us. That's the beauty. See, you got to wear the suit that fits you. All the churches are good, but there's one that fits you and one that sings your song and one that just says, I want to be that. I want to do that. And I, you know, I've, I've just decided I, I believe it's okay if you want to, you know, just be goofy as a $3 bill. It's okay, but you ain't going to do much. Everybody's going to be broke and poor and, and usually the leader is too. So I don't like it. Dr. Fred Price said, I've been rich, I've been poor. He says, rich is better. <laughs> you got problems with both of them, but I'll take the other one, you know. So I remember just being with my groups of leaders and friends, and I kept thinking, okay, you want to have 400 prophecies, and you want to bind every demon and some we don't even have in the Bible. Okay, it ain't none of that bad, but the way you're presenting it is going to limit my growth. And so I decided if I want to grow, I got to get the limits off. I got to have a vision worth following and it's going to determine who comes. Number four, you got to have some successful wins to create a good atmosphere. When people began to win, people began to feel good about themselves and the church. People management has studied the personal histories of individuals since 1961. What they found without exception is that people repeat a pattern of behavior every time they accomplish something they think they either do well or find deeply satisfying. They repeat it. That's interesting. Get some victories and people will feel good about themselves. It raises the atmosphere of high morale. So every small victory we've had, every good success we've announced stimulates us and adds momentum to the thing. When we bought that carousel, we needed $100,000. It wasn't in the budget. We raised it in two weeks. That was a victory. It made the news on television. It made the paper. It's down there in color. That thing for many of you, you've never seen it. It was in Central Park Mall. It's hand built. It's magnificent. Get somebody to show you a picture of it in color and it will be right over there on that side one day. And a lot of folks who will enjoy it will have never seen it. Somebody said, are you going to charge for that? No. <laughs> it's a draw. But those are small things. We bought this property. It was a victory. And then we bought into it, started paying it off. Then we bought the 70 acres of land. Victories, small victories, and then bigger victories. And we share them. Makes us all more expectant. A better optimism, a better atmosphere. We may not win today, but we'll win. We may not summit today, but we'll get there. We're not quitters, we're winners. So we got some successes under our belt. That builds morale. Number five, celebrate all your victories. See, the wind is not an end in itself. It involves more than placing a win in the church's column. It's the momentum value in the celebration of a win that builds good atmosphere. That's a biblical concept. Israel celebrated crossing the Red Sea and their deliverance from Egypt. The Lord's Supper is a celebration. Angels rejoice over one soul that gets saved. The father threw a big party when his prodigal son came home. The Bible is big into celebrating victory. And it has to bring glory to God. Learn to rejoice over God's blessings. Learn how to party. When God gets the praise for what he does and what we are able to accomplish with his help, it gives him the glory. Number six, remove the fear of failure. Churches and organizations that have high morale encourage people to take a risk. Fail if you want to, but fail moving forward. Fail trying something. Jack Taylor used to have a message about walking on the water. And I remember... He said, get out over your head when you're following the Lord. He says, you know you're following the Lord when you're on the edge. And if the Lord doesn't come through, you're sunk. He said, you know you're following the Lord then. And he said, it'd just be better to say, well, where's Peter? I don't know. Last time I saw him, he was headed to Jesus. 
You're failing in the right way. You're failing headed toward Jesus. You're failing. And then I think Maxwell came out with a book, Failing Forward. But this goes back to the 60s when Jack was talking about that. The idea is you're going in the right way. If you sink, at least sink headed forward in vision and in purpose and in destiny. Take a risk. And so we don't penalize people for failing. We tell people to get back up and try again. I mean, we take risks all the time. Stuff works, stuff doesn't work. I never know what's going to work. We just try it. I'm not afraid to say it stinks. It's the most pathetic thing we ever did. Kill it. (laughs) Wednesday night was one of those things we killed. You know, we got stuck with it in our heritage. It's not in the Bible. It's a wonderful thing, but nobody comes. (laughs) So, and I'll tell you something, I had a very famous Southern Baptist pastor talk to me two weeks ago about how to get out of it. And I said, you know what my advice was to him? I said, well, you're a very high fashion church and because the old order with the money and you're controlled a little bit different governmentally than we are, you won't be able to kill it. Here's how you kill it. You put a staff member in charge of it. You leave it alone and let it die privately. And then you start a Saturday church and reach the college age and the young people on Saturday and that'll build success. So you don't address it. You just let it die. You just let it wither and die on its own. That's the only thing you can do. You never canceled it. It's there. And only people over 80 want to come. And just a few of them left alive. So we got wise several years ago and quit it. Most churches don't even have Sunday night unless it's a crusade or it's a conference or it's something special. Well, it's the time we're all busy. We live in a different time. You've got to be able to make those kind of changes. And that's a good thing, right? Don't be afraid to take a chance and try something. So we've been, everything we've done is a chance. We don't know. These haven't encouraged me too, because I don't know if I've got any future doing TV shows. I don't really have a lot of confidence about doing a television show. I'm not uncomfortable or unconfident in speaking to people, but I'm not sure I have a TV show. So I need encouragement to take a risk. And hey, if it fails, it fails, nothing lost. If it goes, it goes. But my point is, I've got to be honest with you to tell you, I think I ought to take a chance. And it's a calculated risk and it's not an ego trip. I'm not, in fact, they're having to beg me to do it. I don't have a desire to be on TV. I mean, I just want to build a great church and have influence with people's lives. So I don't know. TV's kind of crowded, but it may be for a time or a season coming. And it may take a departure from what we're doing and develop into something else. That's just where we're starting. God usually does that. It's just a starting point. But I, you know, I don't think I'm so good just sitting down on a clock. I think you got to be spontaneous and shoot from the hip and do some things for me to get attention. I don't think I can sit down and be Dr. Phil and get very much attention. It's just too sterile. It's not that good at it. Okay. So we've said that part of a momentum formula was the attitude of the leader, the atmosphere of the organization. Here's the last one. Number three, the accomplishment of the people. Every church and every business has four types of people. First, momentum breakers. Those are people who stop momentum with their negativism, unbelief, doubt, skepticism. I remember when we started Saturday church, we had a staff member who was extremely negative that it wouldn't work. Now we have two on Saturday. My services are still going, but not the staff member, okay? (laughs) Number two, momentum takers. They sap momentum with their selfishness because they're always waiting wanting to use all that energy for themselves. 
Number three, momentum fakers. They sabotage momentum with their motives. They use momentum for personal gain. They prostitute the organization. They glean the good out of it, and then they're gone. And D, momentum makers. These are people who strengthen momentum with their influence. They add value where you place them. Now, obviously, the goal is to concentrate on momentum makers. Many leaders and pastors focus on momentum breakers. I grew up in the church that if you didn't come, the sermon was about you who didn't come, but you came. What am I preaching to you? Mad about the ones who didn't come. You came. Or about those who don't tithe and don't give. I realize I'm watching this as a young man. This is not good. This is not paying off. He is doing more damage than good. And so concentrate on focusing your attention, your time, your money and care on people who make a difference. Help them. Give them the break they need. How do you build momentum through people? Just one line sentences here. There's 10. Number one, find the momentum makers in your organization or your class or your department or your business. There won't be many. Just find them. Number two, develop solid relationships with them. Spend time with those people. Since time is limited, spend it with those people. Number three, discover their spiritual gifts. What do they do well? Just put them there. Number four, apply the organization's vision to their personal life. Number five, match their gift with a meaningful ministry. Number six, ask for commitment. Ask them to join you in this commitment of building a great church for the glory of God. And when they say yes, number seven, work hard at equipping them for success. Now, my only way is, is there are certain ethics of excellence that I will demand as a person but if it's about audio and visual for which I am not trained, then all I can do is provide the airfare and expense to send Nathan or somebody out to where somebody does an excellent work to learn, to watch, to see, and to glean technical experience, to send people on missions like that that work in that field so we do it better. Does that make sense? That's my job to provide that. And if you want music to be a certain way, a certain style, then you got to send that person where it's done that way so they can catch it. I have an obligation to help those people become what I want them to be. And so you work hard to equip them for success. Number eight, put some wins under their belt. Number nine, share their successes with others. And number 10, place visual reminders of momentum in front of people, pictures, testimonies. Sometimes we'll have somebody who's had a giving breakthrough or a healing breakthrough or some incredible blessing. And we'll do pictures in the newspaper. 